0: The Links and Locks Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. Four.
1: You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to the Links and Locks Podcast, the Action Network's golf betting podcast, presented by Bet Three Six Five. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm joined by golf betting gurus, Nick Bretwish and Spencer Aguiar. The guy's been making money all season long, hitting outrights and hitting on their best bets, whether they be matchups or top 40 bets all season long. And we're excited for another tournament, which has historically produced some winners at some huge numbers. So we'll see if maybe we can find a long shot this week and help boost your bankroll before one of the first designated events of the year. Next week, the WM Phoenix Open. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome in Spencer Aguiar, that's at T-Off Sports on Twitter, and Nick Bretwish at Sticks Picks on Twitter, that's Sticks with an X. Welcome in guys, uh, excited to break down the tournament with you this week.
2: I'm excited to do this also, like we'll we'll talk about this from, you know, it's an interesting event because once again, we have a course rotation, which we can get to, and um, a lack of stat tracker, which I guess is the bigger problem here, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those events to where I don't know how much out there that i i've talked to nick a little bit so i already know part of his answer of how much we actually love but i think there's a couple places that we can get unique and find some value still there's always like even as bad of a board as it might be you can always still find value at the end of the day and that's really what we're trying to do here
0: yeah i'll uh, i'll add on to that I, I for me it was really tough to find much value at all in the betting market i mean it seems like most of the betting markets kind of pushing for this being an outright card which i personally did not like but I've been talking to Spencer all day about it. I kind of, I mean, Roberto, I'd love to get your thoughts. I feel like just the way that this event is sandwiched in between the farmers and uh, WM, it just, it seems like a disservice to Pebble Beach. I mean, obviously, it's not like a hard course by any means. A winner this weekend probably going to be flirting with 20 under, but just to see Pebble Beach on TV, we only really... Like, it, it just sucks that there's not a lot of great players that go to this event on a yearly basis. So I just wish they would move this tournament somehow to make, like, I just wish anything with Pebble Beach would be an elevated event. It's one of the prettiest courses to see on TV. We get a, a little hint of night golf, which I know you and I like a bunch, you know, get oh, yeah. home from work and it's still on TV. That That's the best, but... Just want to get your guys' thoughts there. I know, Spencer, I, I seem to think you agree with me. It just seems like a little bit of disservice for such a beautiful venue, although it's not a hard venue. And obviously, you know, by Glass, Gray, Monterey is all right. Just to see Pebble kind of just get overlooked by all the tour players seems to be, you know, it, it kind of bums me out because I do wish that this was more of a uh, loaded field every single year. It just never seems to be the case.
1: Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I love Pebble Beach and I, it's got a really special place in my heart because i got to play in the 2014 uh first tee open at pebble beach which was one of the coolest weeks of my life um it's and awesome. that golf course is just tremendous and the views the first time you go to pebble beach and you see uh the holes from i think it's four through four through 11 out there on the coast it's something i'll never forget and just absolutely stunning and when there's wind it's one of my favorite courses to watch on PGA tour. I know guys have hit on that seventh hole, which is just a hundred yards. You'll hit a sand wedge or a lo- or a lob wedge when there's no wind, but I've heard of guys hitting as much as a four iron or a three iron on that hole. When wind's straight <laughs> and sitting two. and knock down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a three iron a hundred yards is just absurd, but uh, I agree. It's unfortunate that this event is sandwiched in between some bigger events normally. And that the, Uh, Saudi event is also at the same time, and that's poached players in the past. But as we know, some of the players who played there were obligated to come back and play this event in future years because they were released to play that. So hopefully that works out. And given the nature of the designated events, where a certain number of them are rotating, I'm looking forward to when that rotates to Pebble Beach so that we get all the big names. But unfortunately, only three of the top 16 players and seven of the top 50 in the world this week. So... Not ideal, and all those numbers have been repressed for those players. So going to have to look at some longer numbers potentially this week. But uh, before we get into the outright market, I wanted to ask you guys, what is your best bet for this week?
2: I'll take us first here. So my best bet is going to be Grayson Sig minus 110 over Troy Merritt.
1: All right. How about you, Nick?
0: Bet 365 showing up this week for me. Scott Piercy, top 40, plus 175. Old man Scott playing his fourth tournament in a row, but I'm going to ride the form and the course history of Scott Piercy.
1: All right. I'm also going to play a placement market for my best bet, and that's going to be Matthew Neesmith, top 20 for plus 300 on Bet 365 as well. So we'll come back to our best bets in a, a few moments, but first, guys, let's get into your outright cards Who are you betting this week and why are you betting them?
2: Nick, you want to take us first on this one?
1: Uh, Yeah, I guess. But
0: Roberto, I love hearing you mention Matthew Naismith. He is on my outright card right now. I think the best price in the market is 85 to 1. And then another one for me is Robbie Shelton. Best price in the market right now is 90 to 1. I don't really realistically expect any of these guys to win. It's more of a number grab. I had them closer in the 75 to 1 range. And overall, I, I think this is going to be another tournament. I've been saying this, I don't know, 90% of our shows. I'm going to wait for my favorite golfer in this tournament to hopefully start out of the gate a little slow, especially with a 54 hole cut. Uh, that means a little bit more to me this week than most. I I just find it hard to believe anybody's going to beat Matt Fitzpatrick this week. And I hate taking the chalk. That guy's going to be, you know, 10 to 1, 11 to 1, depending on the book out there. It's a little bit of a turnoff, but I mean, if anybody was on ROM last week, like you were, so much better off waiting for after round one or round two, and getting the number there. I guess after yeah round two too. But yeah, it's uh it's tough for me, so I'm just throwing the darts at Naismith and Sheldon, who really seem to to check the boxes that my model was looking for this week in terms of upside for their pricing.
1: And what specific aspects of their game do you think makes them undervalued?
0: I was very high on um, obviously putting is going to be important this week. I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Shelton has struggled in putting, but it seems to be getting better a a little bit. My model seems to think that he's underproducing what his baseline should be. And the iron play from 100 to 150 yards, depending on their length off the tee Shelton's, so I guess a little, you know, shorter of a hitter. So the 150 mark is more for him. And that 100, 125 for guys like Naismith, it just seems like they kind of check every single box, can make putts, scramble around the green. It's going to be important this week too, Have higher that The highest weight this season that i've given to that but no one really ever seems to talk about putting i say the same thing every show like if you want to win a tournament you need to make putts but especially here if the weather stays calm and the predicted score is going to be you know 18 under 19 under potentially 20 under you're going to have to get hot with the putter and i think those guys can do it for the price that they're at obviously if they were great putters and great iron players they'd be 40 to one or shorter that's just not the case here but um Everything that I just said, though, describes Matthew Fitzpatrick every single mm-hmm. week, so that's where, that, that's going to be my guy this week is, uh, is Fitzy. I just hope he can you know par a couple holes, maybe lose a stroke on a par five to the field, and maybe the number gets closer to 15, 18 to one live, and I'll move on that.
1: It makes a lot of sense. Fitzpatrick, you could argue, is the player with the least amount of holes in this field. I think that's the case, and he obviously is the reigning U.S. Open champion, and The U.S. Open came to Pebble Beach and rotates throughout there around every seven years. So it makes sense that he would be a strong player on this course. And I'm excited to see how he does this week because we haven't really seen a ton of him in action recently. And going into some of the designated events, he's someone whose price could be worth monitoring going forward um, because his game plays everywhere. Um, Spencer, what are you eyeing in the outright market this week?
2: Yes, you kind of alluded to this a second ago, but this event has yielded a mixture of winners over the last 10 years. It's always been a stop where betters want to go deep down the board because we have seen random names pop up on numerous occasions. But the one thing I will say from a negative perspective towards that would be Matthew Fitzpatrick, Victor Hovland, Jordan Spieth, Seamus Power, and Maverick McNeely are carrying about 30% of the win potential on my sheet for this tournament. That total makes me mostly want to avoid this board altogether since shops have priced out our ability to back those five names from a pre-tournament perspective. When that's the case, I typically advise trying to get involved during the event once everything begins. Kind of just the same answer that Nick gave in. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here. If you were to tell me that there's one player who's going to win this event, I'm also going to go with Matthew Fitzpatrick, like in an ideal world, I'm hoping that we can find a number that creeps, you know, 18 to one, 20 to one, maybe he gets off to a slow start. Like that's how I'm going to be approaching this for the most part from this event. But I did decide to go with four long shots down the board Two are probably more reasonable than the others. I'll let everyone out there guess who I'm talking about for each category since you would never hear me say one of these players isn't a good bet to win a tournament. But I started with Scott Stallings at 60 to one on bet 365. The recent form is worse than the long-term running data, but you can sometimes get inflated prices when markets overlook the broader extent of a player's profile. Stallings ranks inside the top 40 of my model for weighted tee to green, strokes gain total on POA, weighted scoring and weighted proximity. And while I had to run things from an upside perspective to make this number work, I did have about 10 points of value at that 60 to one price compared to the 50 to one number that my model believed to be accurate. I took Brendan Todd at 80 to one. Look, I don't know if he can win this event, but Todd is some of the better win equity increases I could find on my sheet. I was sold on trying to bet this because of his third place mark for weighted T to green. a tally that placed some 64 spots higher than his baseline projection at a random course. That's as big of an increase as you will find when the way, with the way I ran this for the weighted totals to mimic this track on hand. I took Mark Hubbard 210 to one. Hubbard's probably a better first round leader bet than anything. I don't really know if we exactly know where he's at with his game right now with the surgery that he had on his foot and all the other factors that seem to be going on every single week. But I'll take the shot on a golfer that ranked 10th in my model for both weighted tee to green and weighted scoring at a price over 200 to one. And then it won't come as a surprise to many that I grabbed Webb Simpson at 100 to (laughs) 1. Look, bets like Webb are nothing more than hoping we get him to turn back time before these prices get slashed in half. But I don't see the harm in betting on a golfer that my model continues to love from an upside perspective, especially at this going rate. The floor is extremely low. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to make an argument that it's not. But there isn't a direct corollary between that volatility and not placing an outright bet. In fact, it makes it more conducive for us to want to take that boomer bust approach in the outright market. It's kind of like, you know, Roberto, you and I have talked about this a lot recently. But if you don't have each way present, if you're going to come miss the cut, I mean, that's essentially equivalent to coming in second. So I think there's other ways to play web. You could make an argument that a top five or a top 10. I think when we go more in the other direction of top 40s or head to heads, I would avoid that route with it. But, you know, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you once said Webb had the best win equity of anyone on tour. In fairness, it might have also been that Webb had the worst win equity of anyone on tour. But, you know, tomatoes, tomatoes in this situation, the right?
0: opposite of upside in Webb Simpson. <laughs> he is the opposite of that. But 100-1 to 1 in this field, I hate to say it, Spencer should be, you know, he's got a better sales pitch than a used car salesman when he talks about Webb Simpson <laughs> in the outright market. But then you... You pair that with a hundred to one. I, I mean, I've I've made worse bets in my life. I will I'll say that right now. So I mean, distance doesn't matter here too much. I, it's I'm not talking about Web Simpson. You did it against Spencer, but <laughs> hundred to one is interesting. I will I'll stamp off that that
1: is a an okay play this week. I'm shocked that it took what is this four uh, five weeks in the new year until we got a Web Simpson mention on this podcast, but it finally happened. And it's hopefully relapse. <laughs> and hopefully he pulls through. I, I think he and Brendan Todd are similar in that they're guys who have to be plotters because they don't hit it very long and they have some upside because of their winning equity in the past and their experience and also and also just the field's lack of star power this week outside of the top three. So if those three don't perform anywhere near their peak. If he has one great week, we know he's someone who has proven that he's a winner. Uh, And at that price, I think there are worse players to bet on this week. Um, Like you guys, I've also got some plays at some longer numbers. So I also bet Matthew Neesmith at 80 to one, but I guess V5 can find 85 to one out there. I like him because he's potentially elite on approach in this field. He's 20th in strokes gained approach so far this season, and In seven tracked events, he's gained over 1.2 strokes on approach per round four out of seven times. So I think his spike weeks are very intriguing for me at this point, and he's in the best form of his pro career. So I think there's a shot on trying to figure out how big his upside is. And like I said, in a field that doesn't have a ton of star power, he's middling in driving distance, but this week that's less important than other weeks. And he didn't, play, he didn't make the cut last week at Tory Pines, and on a course that's completely different, I think he might have gotten a little bit of value here in this spot. And then also he's got some nice course history. It's tough to – course history is something that I wanted to look at because you're playing in a pro-am with all these c celebrities who are just hacking out there. So it takes some level of patience and familiarity with the different courses, with there being three in rotation this week. And he's got top 16 finishes in two out of three starts here. So that's my pitch on Matthew Neesmith and the same reason why I'm betting him for top 20. I think that approach gives him a higher, higher floor this week, but also if he gets the short game together, he could potentially win the event. I've also got a play on Will Gordon, who is a guy who I'm just higher on in general than the market, because I think he's got some big upside with his length and relative accuracy off the tee. And even though he's not going to be hitting driver all the time, I think on the front nine, you're going to hit less than driver on likely five holes at least, um, one, three, four, eight, and even six, the par five. So he can be hitting less club than some other people. He might be taking iron when other people are taking three woods and he can be more accurate like that. He um, also has gained strokes off the tee in all eight tracked events this season. So I like that his long game has been really strong. And then on approach, he's solid as well. But the thing is his short game needs to cooperate. He's had some really, really poor, weeks the last couple of weeks, either on the greens or around the greens. And if we just get rid of those absolute disasters with a short game, I think he's someone who has the upside to win this tournament. Additionally, he's got some nice course history. He played as a rookie on the tour in 2021 and had a really bad year, but his second best finish of the whole season was here at Pebble beach to tie for 21st. Additionally, in 2018, when he played in the U.S. Amateur, which was here at Pebble Beach, he made it all the way to the quarterfinal. So he's used to playing high-pressure events here at Pebble Beach. So I bet him at 70-1 to 1 to win the tournament, and I also got him at plus 280 for top 20 as well. as. And if you don't love the number for top 20, it might also be worth taking a stab at top 10 for Will Gordon. Like Spencer, I also bet Mark Hubbard for similar reasons. Uh, the driving distance issues are negated here. He's decent on approach and he can have spike putting weeks. I don't disagree at all with the prognostication that he might be a better first-round leader bet than player to win the whole tournament. But at 210 to one, I think it's worth a sprinkle. And then additionally, this one you can't bet, unfortunately, but I thought I'd share it anyways. I bet Seamus Power at 28 to one at open. I wouldn't bet him lower than 24 to one. It, he's around nineteen twenty to one in the market right now. So that's just kind of dead. And I don't like sharing that with the public, but I did bet that. So if you want to find another way to back him, I think he's someone with value. He had the 36 hole lead here last year by five strokes ahead of second place. But since then he's moved into the top 30 in the official war golf rankings. He's got a win on tour and he's awesome inside of 150 yards. So I think that the lack of experience that he missed last year, he's got now and I think he's a better golfer and I think that's reflective in how he was moved from 28 to 1 to around 19 to 1 in the market. So those are my four outright plays.
2: I like all those plays that you mentioned. And and I mean it's at least worth noting with Seamus. Look, yeah, I mean, numbers move. There are ways out there that numbers at certain shops don't end up, you know, shifting as quickly as others. That information could still be relevant for somebody where it isn't for another person on it. So I, I do think it's at least worth noting in those situations on it. And uh, Seamus is one of the golfers in my model. When I run this just from a pure upside perspective, like you have some names, like, I'll, I'll, I don't want to name too many players here, Like, but I'll, I'll give one example, like a, a Joel Dahman moves in the opposite direction for me when we talk about win equity. Seamus power moves in a positive direction when we talk about win equity. So I think those are like some of those things that I always try to find in my model. And obviously we're going towards the top of the board or near the top of the board on those plays. So we're going to need to have some semblance of win equity when we back a player like Seamus here, but I like the trajectory that he goes on. I I like the trajectory that I saw from Will Gordon. I I think that like a top 10 sort of bet on him makes a lot of sense. He's been super boomer bust. He's a volatile golfer from what we've seen recently but at least there's enough there of uh, a numbers perspective. Like, I'll give you the number right now. So I have him 12th overall in my model of this week. That's not going to come without, like, risk. I mean, there there's sure, there's a chance he misses another cut again. But that's why it's like I'm fine shooting as far up as I can. And it's the same sentiment, like, not to keep going back to this person. And it's not the same exact example. But it's the same thing with Webb. It's like, find me these scenarios where I can find these guys where my model believes will have upside in this event. But let me shoot for it to win the event. Let me shoot for it as a top five, a top 10, maybe a top 20 in these situations. And like, let's avoid this bottom end of head to heads and, and, and top 40 bets or anything that just adds more safety to the mix. Cause I don't know if you're necessarily going to get it with any of those guys that we just named. And I could make an argument that Seamus probably has that same negative trajectory when we talk about safety. But when we're talking about winning a tournament, that's more of the kind of golfer I want because You only have one name that can win. You got to shoot for the moon on it when you have these opportunities. And uh, I, unfortunately, myself missed that Seamus number when it opened. If I would have seen that out in a space, that might have been one of the wagers that I would have gone to. And kind of going back to what Nick just commented on, you know, 10 minutes ago here. Now it's put me in this spot to where it's much more likely I'm going to try to find a Matthew Fitzpatrick ticket than anything. But the same sentiment goes for Seamus. Like if that number can balloon out high enough in some spot, I would consider that. I mean, there's nothing to say that we couldn't find a Fitzpatrick and a Seamus number with the way that I'm building my card. Like I have four names, two of them that are above 100 to one. There's a lot of ways to maneuver when you bet it from an tournament perspective and numbers move in like the opposite direction or you at least anticipate them too, if you're going to make the bet.
1: Well, I'm glad that, you guys like a lot of my picks. That's reassuring. And um, hopefully we get one of those to cash um, or get into contention for some of those top 10, top 20 plays. And we know with three elite players in the field, somebody else going to have to finish in the top 10. So why not our guys? Before we get to our matchups and place bets, just want to give a reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive signup offer in New Jersey and Colorado, where you bet $1 on any game and you get $200 free. So guys, without any further ado, what are your matchup plays this week? We'll start with you, Spencer.
2: Would you mind if I segued this differently into a bet 365 thing? I have a, sure. a couple placement bets that I'd like to talk about in okay. full credit to bet 365 for being one of the only books to provide top 40 wagers weekly. You know, it's funny. It's become the Wild West of shops refusing to either take action or massively shifting lines the single, uh, the second a single dollar touches a play. I know Nick has a play for a, a a top forty here that I'll let him talk about in a little bit. I decided to take a different route this week and back three finishing position bets on Bet365 that I thought had a little value. The first would be Brendan Todd to finish fifty third or better at minus one twenty. For the record, all of these are minus 120. That's one of the bet 365 sta- staples there. But Todd was the biggest climber in my model when adjusting the T to green stats. Um, he was also ranked second in expected par four scoring behind only Matt Kuchar. Those holes will be more about surviving since you have issues that come into play on a few of the stops. But when we talk about safety over anything else, the ability to scramble and save your score will go a really long way. So I thought that 53rd or better price at minus 120 was a really, um, like, I mean, if, Look, I mean it goes in like a negative stance if I'm trying to run this completely for safety, but I had this more out in like the minus 150, minus 160 range for what I had proper. So I really like that bet. I took Grayson SIG at 59th or better. Um, we will get to my head to head wager in a second of sig over merit. I do think that if there's any reason why you didn't want to oppose Merit or you know, maybe you wanted just to get more action down here. I don't mind necessarily betting this for like 1.2 units to win one unit. Uh, I ended up betting all of these for 0.60 to win five. But I think Grayson Sick at 59th or better. I I mean, my model at least believes he is one of the better safety ratings that I have. Like he jumps into the top 10 when I run this from a safety perspective. And it's kind of the perfect market that and ahead to head to back that. And then I will go in the opposite direction of the first two and say Ryan Palmer lands at 53rd or worse for the week. And the reason for that is the statistical profile was middling compared to the field. And the overall appeal of uh, safety took a massive shift in the wrong direction when I ran my numbers for a steadier outlook. That isn't even to say that I liked his upside whatsoever, but back-to-back missed cuts at this tournament since 2019, and then one top 60 finish in his last four starts on tour, did massively shift my numbers in the wrong direction. And, you know, I feel like at least, I mean, when we've talked about these wagers in this position market on Bet365, I feel like we've all dominated it for the most part. Sure, there's been a couple that we've massively beat numbers on that we didn't end up winning. Like, um, I can't remember what event that is. Maybe you can fill that in for me, Roberta, if you can recall what it was. But I remember we had like Davis Riley numbers that were very far off there, but I, I continue to think it's a, a, it's a market that's softer than a lot of these spaces out there. And look, we're not going to find a million opportunities to back in these spots. Like I think most of the pricing is generally good, but those three in particular were very conducive to like a long-term bankroll growth. And I tend to believe in, in general, this market is a really good bankroll building market. Like I'm kind of cutting everything in half from what I usually do from a unit standpoint, just because we do have to lay minus 120 juice on it. Um, but I kind of treat them more as a head-to-head wager and go about that mentality of, I know that there's, there's more players in this field this week. There's 156, but let's try to beat half of them and, and go with that route with it. So those are the three I have for placements.
1: I want to say that might've been RSM Classic or... houston open but i can't quite recall everything in false link seems like it was three years ago but (laughs) i also have a play in the over under bit 365 market i uh went with taylor pendrith 43rd or worse he's someone who was absolutely on fire in the summer last year after he came back on the tour from injury but so far he's got only one finish of 42nd or better which would catch the other side of this bet in six starts so far this season. And the approach play hasn't been awesome this year and his driving distance isn't a huge asset this week. So he's also got some mid league course history. He's got a tie for 49th and a cut in two starts at this event. So I'm fading Taylor Pendrith. This is a a market where I've players and I've had a lot of success recently. I don't feel as strongly about this one as I have about some other ones. So I'm betting 0.48 units to win 0.4, but I wanted to have someone to fade this week, and I thought there was an edge on Pendrith. But if you want to fade, if you want to actually bat Pen- back Pendrith, he's someone whom I think betting on his upside is a better idea than trying to bet him 42nd or better. Uh, Nick, which top 40 bets do you have this week? Just the one. It's uh, it's the right? bet of the
0: week for me, Scott Piercy at plus 175 on bet 365. I look at it this way, like the public – Absolutely loves Troy Merritt. Spencer wrote a little piece on it on Action Network about Troy Merritt. He's plus 130 to finish top 40 on Bet365. He is in terrible form and has similar course history to Scott Piercy. Piercy, you know, historically lights this place up. He missed a cut last year. I think he finished 50th or 51st the year before that. The thing about Merritt, he obviously doesn't have the age that Scott Piercy's carrying with him. But Piercy has gained strokes approaching around the green. In all three of his last events, he seems to be periodically getting better each week. Game strokes putting at the Farmers, which is great, but he knows this venue so well. I think if his game's in a better place than it was the last two years, that's a really good number on Scott Piercy. I have it at plus 150 in my model, so only 25 points of value. I usually like to get 30 on a placement bet, but I kind of open the show with. The, uh, the betting market just does not want to give us top 40s right now. So shout out to Bet365 and the way that they do things with the different placement markets like you guys talked about in your plays. Um, but the only concern I have for Scott Piercy, interested to hear your guys' thoughts on it. I have no data to support this, but Piercy is going for his fourth tournament in a row at 44 years old. Is that a concern? If If they were young, you know, I wouldn't care. And this is something I have not baked into my numbers when I try to look at stuff like this, like maybe put a... I don't, I don't need, like, there's no data behind it. I don't think that I could find in, you know, the handful of hours I think I've spent over the years trying to see if that actually matters. But 44 years old, a lot of slope at Pebble. Uh, Spyglass, I believe, too, has a lot of slope. Never played Monterey, never been in that venue. So I can't speak to that. Maybe Monterey's if any pretty flat, say. relatively. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So I don't know. I mean, maybe when he's on Pebble walking up the hill at, what is that? six seven is the uh, six six is the par five that goes way up you know maybe up that hill it'll it'll hurt his old back a little bit but other than that (laughs) i'm not too concerned there shouldn't be like a ton of slope that that hurts him playing four rounds in a row but and it's not like he's carrying anything it's you know shout out to his caddy for four weeks in a row with scott piercy but i'm assuming his caddy's old i don't know his caddy i should know that but yeah uh
1: rant over does it matter (laughs) so nick what i'll say is that so the first one of those four events was sony open in Hawaii. He was cut there, so we got an early start on the next week. And then the next two events, true. Fresh legs. American Express and Farmers, both in Southern California, not a lot of travel involved there, and then just going up to Pebble. So the travel situation, not terrible. The only long one was from Hawaii back to the mainland, but I don't think that's terrible. I mean, if you've seen on Twitter, there are some cool videos showing how far away all the tournaments are for the LPGA Tour going back and forth spanning all around the globe. And then also with live golf, which are pretty insane, but thankfully for the PGA tour, the travel, at least during this part of the tour is not extreme. So I'd say it's not terrible. And, you know, because he's playing so often that the form, at least like the approach play when he's gained strokes and approach on all three of these tournaments and around the green as well. Hopefully that stays in form as well.
0: Top five in ball striking last week. Scott Piercy.
2: Yeah. I think it's course dependent and player dependent too, at the end of the day. And, and, putting all these courses in California can only help. And it's kind of like, yeah, sure. He's playing a lot of golf and he's getting up there in age, but all the recent metrics are trending in the right direction. If we saw something going in the opposite way, and we thought there was a reason of age, maybe playing a factor or too much golf or whatever the reason would be behind it, however you want to state it that would be more of a reason to try to fade it but like if we look at his last 24 rounds he's 20th in this field tee to green he's 25th on approach he's first around the green everything is going in the right way that of how you would want it to be if you were going to place a top 40 bet on him and then all you have to do is look at the course history that he's provided like yeah he missed the cut last year and had a 50th in 2021 but three consecutive top 20s before that I think all the pieces are working perfectly for him in this event. And we talked about a little bit of of different golfers that have been named so far. Look, I'll get into it more when I talk about head-to-head wagers. Course history, there's a positive to it and there's a negative to it. The negative of course history is a lot of times people look at it and they immediately want to back that golfer. So you get these enhanced prices and these things that flare up in a direction that aren't actually conducive to long-term success. But then you take the opposite of this and you look at a golfer like Scott Piercy, he has the form that looks fine. The The course history is inside the top 15 of my model with the way that I run all my data with it. So look, like he's not getting that same steam that a guy like Troy Merritt's getting. And I would make an argument that, and by the way, you can find this matchup out there in the space. I didn't go with it. I ended up going with the Grayson SIG route, but You can look at Scott Piercy versus Troy Merritton. If you notice where that number is moving, it is moving in Scott Piercy's direction. And Nick kind of talked about it a second ago. There's a, what, 45-point difference in uh, top 40 number there?
0: Yes, sir, on the dot.
2: And and Piercy's a favorite in their head-to-head matchup. So I think that tells you everything you need to know.
0: Oh, yeah. One more play, now that we talk about it. And I'm looking at ball striking from last week. I don't mind Trey Molinax 46th or better, minus 120 on bet 365. I, I believe he's only played the venue once on the PGA. He was great here last year. Putting is starting to become one of his the better facets of his game. And the iron play is significant. He should tear up the par fives here. I like Trey Molinax a little bit. I, I You guys think he's got any legs to win this event? I feel like kind he's of, one kind of the... Of one of the forgotten guys in the pricing in terms of upside recent tour winner. Sure. It was a, you know, a nothing event, but
1: I'm I not one to rule out many players to win on this tournament, given the nature yeah, I of, think... of the history.
2: When I was looking at the the placement market on bet three, six, five, Molinex was the last name that got cut. So if I would have done it with three players to finish better than their position, Molinex would have been the last name. And with you throwing that out right now, I might end up adding to, that to my card also, because I think he's the forgotten about player kind of in that we'll call it like 50 to 80 to one range. And the course history for him, he does have a couple tournaments here, like the 28th in 2022, uh, 22nd in 2019. And I kind of believe he's a different player than he's been throughout his entire career. And you can see that with multiple top 10 finishes over the past six months. And some of those have been at some decent tournaments. Like he's not just doing it at your random run of the mill type of, of course, like, look, the Houston open, isn't mm-hmm. a terrible event for him to come in fourth place. And I thought his 31st last week at the farmers, he probably should have done better than that. Like he was super solid and consistent. He just couldn't make a putt. And I kept watching it over and over again. Cause I was kind of tracking him for various reasons. And the, the ball striking looked really good. He kept having, you know, 20 foot putts and just nothing ever fell for him. And um, he made a couple mistakes at the very end that moved him down a few spots, but Look, I I mean, if Molinax was to win this tournament, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked
1: either. We know he won on the tour last year. Sure, it was an opposite field event, but you still win a PJ Tour event at the Barbasol. That's big time. The FedEx St. Jude is a legit event. Um, In the playoffs, he finished tied for fifth there and then tied for fourth, like you said, at the Houston Open, which is probably the toughest track in the fall swing. So I think he's someone who's got some upside. I I agree. And I'm very intrigued by the top 46 play. I think I might have to add that as another in-pod play. The group play, play for all
2: of us. I guess we're all on it now. Odd all right, let's ride, boys. I
1: love it. Spencer, do you want to get into your play on Grace and Sig before we get out of here?
2: Yeah, so it won't be a shock to anyone who listens to this podcast weekly when I say I'm not a course history guy. I know we've gone back and forth about that today. It's not to say that it isn't relevant or somewhat useful when attempting to break close tiebreakers, but... It kind of goes back to what I just said. There are scenarios, this being one of them, where the past nature of how someone has performed at a tournament gets way too massively enhanced on the odds board because of the belief a golfer fits the track perfectly. Um, You know, it pains me to make this comparison because I, I would say Webb Simpson consistently grades as a much more stout side candidate inside my sheet. But it's a similar situation we're getting here with Webb and with Merit, where the past results are masking the current form and are also getting compounded into the negative stance because of that varying statistical profile. If we are looking for positives, Merrick gets uh, that weighted T to green boost that shows why he has succeeded at this course in the past, jumping from 62nd to 25th. But the back end of his numbers inside of my model would be what has me most concerned when projecting his chances this season. He ranks a measly 120th in stroke scene total over his last 24 rounds. And the current slippage from 17th to 70th when anticipating expected proximity ranges for this event should start to highlight a golfer that isn't as dialed in for the contest as we have seen in years past. You don't have to look any further than him, only producing one top 50 finish in his last nine tournaments. Like everything is kind of going in the wrong direction. Yet we're in this spot right now where books for whatever reason, I don't know if that's because betters out there are still backing merit or they know that they're gonna get two way action in this situation, but there's a forgiveness that's being given to merit that I don't think is deserved. It's one thing to have course history, Scott piercy esque but also have the form trending in the right direction. It's another that when you completely mask every single problem that's taking place, say that merit is fine because of the course history, well, In my opinion, he should be 150 to one golfer in this field. And I know we're talking about a head-to-head wager right now. But the problem is, is if you're saying a guy should be 150 to one bet in this tournament, he has negative trajectory for safety, at least in the regard of how he's played recently. And then you pair him against a player like Grayson Sig, which I know we don't have a ton of course history for him. But the one time he's played it, he was very impressive in that event. I think he's been really impressive over the last couple of months in particular with it. It wouldn't shock me if we look back on this in three or four years, and all of a sudden we have this same statistical profile with Grayson Sig that we're talking about with Troy Merritt as far as, like, um, of course, history sense goes on it. And if you're telling me that's the case of, like, one guy legitimately should be 70-1 to to win this tournament and the other one should be 150-1, to give me Grayson Sig in this spot to where I can take advantage of a mispricing on a player that probably doesn't deserve to be in this range. And if you removed, if you... Bad example. I want to preface this saying this is a bad example. If you move, because we're playing on this course, but if you move this anywhere else in the world, I mean, I mean, like, legitimately, any other tournament that Merit didn't present this sort of a course history standpoint to it, I think this price balloons out. Like, I think we get into the minus 170, minus 180, minus 190 range. So, how much are we really crediting this course history for Merit when the form sucks? Like, you could make the argument that maybe it should be minus 140 minus 135, minus 130, like somewhere in that range. But even with all those numbers, we're still talking about a 20 plus point difference.
1: I think that's a really smart way of going about it, figuring out how much is the course history really moving them up the board. And then if the edge is significant enough, fading him, it's going to be tough. But you know that when people see this course history, the book wants them to bet on Troy Merritt in the spot. And if you align yourself with the book, I think that's... uh, profitable spot more often than not.
2: Yeah, it's like the craps mentality, kind of if you play craps of like trying to bet against the house in situations with it, but or bet with the house, sorry, in situations with it and not being the one that bets against the house in in those spots. But um, yeah, it's like we can look at this and even like it's not that hard when you start like when you do it every single week and you start dissecting these boards from inside and out, it's not that hard to start figuring out where casinos want you to start placing your money. And who they want to avoid, and and I think Nick and I saw the same thing when it came to Matthew Fitzpatrick this week. Shops out there everywhere are shading any exposure that you can find to Fitzpatrick. Like head-to-head matchups are reaching these ridiculous threshold numbers that really aren't conducive to back him. Uh, you see head, you see his outright price drifting or dropping in a direction to where I've seen him as low as eight to nine to one at some books that I respect out there in the space, and you can kind of start to see these like weird trajectories take place. And merit is one of the key examples of that to where the outright odds are are, are are moving up. The head-to-head numbers are moving in the wrong direction. My model doesn't like them. Like everything is just ticking or checking the wrong box when we run it that way. So uh, when that's the case, like those are always head-to-head targets that I like to take on. And it just so happens in this particular situation, which is not always the case, like Sig is actually a top 10 player for me for safety. So... All the pieces fit together nicely in that sense.
1: That makes a ton of sense. And as you brought up Matt Fitzpatrick, I wanted to talk about the other two elite players in this field since we haven't mentioned them a ton on this podcast today. If you had a $100 free bet from your book and you were only allowed to bet on Jordan Spieth or Victor Hovland, which one would you choose?
2: I would take Victor Hovland. Same. Why? And just to like very quickly give an answer to that. It just comes down to the upside of my model with the way that I've run it. So, you know, space course history, it's impressive. Once again, we keep going back to this course history narrative with it. But when I run this from a statistical perspective, uh, Victor Hovland is first for weighted tee to green. He is fifth for strokes gain total and win. He's second in strokes gain total on short courses with easy to hit fairways. He is second in weighted scoring. He's first in overall birdie or better percentage. Uh, he's third in weighted proximity. Those are really high-end metrics. I don't know if that's what he's going to provide for us here, and I don't know if he's going to win this event, but I, I kind of tend to believe that the two most likely winners of this tournament in the order that I'm going to give them would be Matthew Fitzpatrick and then Victor Hovland. And um, there's more win equity in those two names than, I don't want to say the general public believes, because like pricing is still not conducive to bet them where they are right now but it also makes them savvy candidates to try to consider as the event begins. Like I, I mentioned Seamus and Fitzpatrick as being two. Hovland would be the third that I'm trying to just figure out where numbers move throughout Thursday or after Thursday.
1: I agree. I think his elite iron play is what separates him. And some of the Spieth putting inside of 10 feet gives me some cost for concern, but given the nature of Jordan Spieth's game where playing on the small greens at pebble where he is a short game wizard and he can get some, if he gets the putter rolling from 15 plus feet on, he could just go bananas like he did last year uh, after he nearly died during this event, falling into the um, off the cliff on the eighth hole. So hopefully nobody gets that close again this year, but I'm going to be very, very intrigued to watch Jordan Spieth on the feature groups this week. Um, And hopefully we get Hovland and Fitzpatrick in there as well.
2: And that's not a shot, by the way, at Speed. Like when, when I ran this in my model, number one, Fitzpatrick, number two, Hovland, number three, Speeth. I mean, we're, we're very minor differences between all these players. I just think, like, from an actual uh, winning standpoint, like who's most likely to win this event, Speeth kind of falls back behind the other two.
1: Uh, I was not allowed to bet last week as I was on PJ Tour Live's coverage of the Farmers Insurance Open. Uh, did get to call a hole in one. Shout out to Kyle Westmoreland for the hole in one on 16 at Tory. That was the first hole-in-one on that hole since, I believe, 1984. So pretty rare, pretty crazy that he got it past the hole and spun it back into the hole off one bounce. It was awesome. Spencer, how was your week last week in San Diego?
2: It was an okay tournament. It it continues to be the in-tournament wagers that prevent better outcomes from a unit standpoint. I did hit top 40 bets. Um, I mean, the most notable one would be the full hit that I got on Jonathan Vegas at plus 270 for that top 40. Dean Burmister suffered a dead heat to reduce some of his winnings at plus 200, uh, but still a reasonable profit there. And then I ended up betting Ricky Fowler 54th or better on bet 365. That ended up being a relatively easy winner at the end of the day also. But uh, I mean, it's kind of been one of those spots where the pre-tournament head to heads are really good. The placement bets seem to be good. And for whatever reason, my bread and butter of these in-tournament bets just continuously I feel like they're suffering bad luck to it. Like almost every bad break that can take place seems to be occurring in a lot of these spots with it. But it's kind of the ebbs and flows of gambling. I think like in order to hit 60% winners over a four-year perspective like I did on them, you kind of have to run on the positive side of EV. And for whatever reason, I'm on the negative side of it right now. But I don't have any reason to believe that like it's not going to turn around Uh, the most important thing, and this is a really good point out there just for anybody that's listening. If you find yourself in a rut, first of all, realize that this is going to happen to everybody. Uh, But the more important thing that you're trying to find when you do that is see if you're beating closing lines or if if they're going the other direction. Because if you're consistently on the wrong end of the movement, movement isn't the be all end all, but it's also important enough to know that for whatever reason, you're backing the wrong side of a wager, at least in the perception of where the number is moving. Like you don't want to get on the wrong end of steam there. So uh, if you're consistently beating numbers, I would be optimistic and just keep staying the course. If for some reason you're not beating numbers and it's going in the opposite direction, you might need to redraw and rebuild how you're doing your model with it. But those are important things to at least keep in mind because uh, at the end of the day, closing line value is something that matters. It will increase your ROI at the end of the year if you're Beating points by like those top forties that I mentioned. Like I beat them. I had a Martin layered one also that lost, but I beat them by like a hundred points last week from where they closed. Like that alone means that like things should be moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I happened to hit two of the three of them, Uh, but there's a big difference from like backing it at plus two fifty versus backing it at plus one thirty. Specifically, when you end up suffering dead heat rules, that even cuts it in half more. So it's like every little dollar and every single edge that you can find, uh it compounds on itself throughout the year. And like the more positive spots that you can put yourself in, the more likely you are to be able to build a bankroll throughout a season.
1: I think that was well stated. And something else to consider is that this is the final multi-course event of the season on the PJ Tour, all the way going right before football season starts in the fall. And with that, you're going to have data for every tournament going forward. Whereas this week, we only have data on two of the four rounds because we don't have it for Monterey Peninsula or... Spyglass Hill. So hopefully we can get more on top of it going forward with more markets available because of more data available, and th- which means more bets to potentially have, like you said, more top 40 markets where you can look at uh, from different books and maybe even find some ARB out there as well. So starting next week, it should be a lot of fun. And we know the big names are coming out. It's going to be an awesome stretch of of golf coming up with WM, Riviera as well. And then heading into um the players and the masters shortly so a lot of really fun events coming up a lot of big name players going to be in them and that means there's going to be more value hopefully across the board uh nick we didn't have you on the pod last week i know it was tough to get you on on monday with the tournament starting on wednesday but any thoughts you wanted to add to the farmers from last week
0: no i mean really awesome finish for for homa he just Played amazing. It, it sucks to see Ryder kind of falter, but home was a better golfer all week long. So it, it was good to see Max win. I mean, it was a great number, 28 to 1, if you got it early in the week. I did not get it because I did not look on Monday, unfortunately. But Tuesday, that number was gone. So would love to say that was a play for me, but just couldn't get there when it was less than uh, or shorter than 28 to 1. Nick, you I'd also add that. the
2: Action Network one and done contest, though. That's all that matters, That's true. Right? That is
0: all that matters. Hey, nice. First place by a lot of money, so... You boys enjoy playing catch-up.
1: I didn't get in on that, unfortunately, but I would also be having to play catch-up nonetheless. Um, Max Homa, by the way, he's won at Riviera. He's now won at Torrey Pines. He's won twice at Silverado uh, for the Fortinet. He also has the course record, 61, at Los Angeles Country Club, which is where they're playing the U.S. Open. I already bet him at 35-1 to to win the U.S. Open this year. We know he's struggled in the majors so far in his career. But if there's a spot where he's going to break through, I'm very intrigued by LACC this fall or this summer. And it might be worth taking a look at his number right now because I don't know that it's going to be the same price when we come in June. Guys, where can we find your work this week?
2: So you can find me on Twitter at T-Off Sports. Um, I obviously, as I, you know, if you follow me on there, you know, I do a lot of work for rotoballer. or. Uh, You can find my model on there. And then you can also find all the articles that I write throughout the week at Action Network. I'll have one coming out tomorrow. Uh, Hopefully we can find a first round matchup to back. I I feel like at some point these are going to turn around with it. So uh, keep an eye out on that. And then, uh, yeah, you can find Nick and I together on our show that we do where we ran through the whole DFS board today uh, over at Better Golf Pod.
1: Awesome. How about you, Nick?
0: Better golf pod this week, no NFL, so a slow week and I'm going to enjoy what I can see of Pebble Beach this week with who's ever playing.
1: Awesome. I also put out a sleepers article where I talked about my Will Gordon and Matthew Neesmith picks in a little bit greater depth on the Action Network, so you can find that there. And then next week, I'm not sure if I'm going to be on the podcast this week, depending on my travel schedule, but I'll be doing PJ Tour Live again for WM Phoenix Open, which should be a total blast. And hopefully we get another hole-in-one on the 16th hole and bring some much-needed rain to the desert, like Sam Ryder did last year. Um, but with that, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here on Links and Locks, the tournament preview for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is presented by Bet365. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week, featuring Golf Bets Jason Sobel and PJ Tour's Ben Everell as they quickly run down their top plays for this week's tournament at Pebble Beach. Thanks again for everyone who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, Noah, Sophia, and Matt. And thanks again for you, the listeners, for tuning in. And we hope you enjoyed the show. We'll catch you next week. But until then, here's to hoping you hit the green.
0: Action Network reminds you, please gamble
1: responsibly.